Combo Nation, do they hear us now? Good. Oh, <laughs> what up? What up? What up, everyone? And welcome to episode 344 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button. If you're listening on that purple Apple podcast app, leave a five-star rating, a friendly comment, and it's the follow button on the Apple app. Share this episode. Share with a friend. Support the pod however you can. Greatly appreciate you all. Today's show, Tony East of Locked On Pacers joins in to talk Tyrese Halliburton, Pacers draft outlook, all-time Pacers starting five, and more a fantastic conversation with Tony. You can find Tony on Twitter at T-E-A-S-T-N-B-A. That's T-E-A-S-T-N-B-A. You catch me on Twitter at Combos Court, same name as the podcast. And you know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Pacers, welcome to Combo's Court. How are you feeling today, man? Thrilled to be here. Always excited to talk Pacers, especially now that they have a new, exciting, fast-paced, with the ball around basketball team. And a basketball player in uh, Tyrese Halliburton. It's so interesting because everybody who listens to my podcast knows how high I have been on him um, pre-draft. And, you know, recently I was going down my Twitter timeline and I saw that they were comparing Tyrese's Pacers stats to LaMelo's season stats. Obviously, it's a small sample size when it comes uh, to Tyrese's Pacers stats, but I was on a podcast, actually the MVP podcast, that's the Max Van Auken um, pre-draft, and I was talking about nobody was really putting them in the same draft range per se, and Tyrese actually fell, but I was kind of saying how Tyrese might be a little bit closer to LaMelo than people think. He's not the passer LaMelo is, although he is a great passer. He's a better shooter. He's a better defender, and he was a proven winner at that time. Lamella wasn't really. So looking at it now, how would you compare those two since you got to watch this guy play for a few games now? How would you compare those two? And just tell me everything you did, you've enjoyed about watching Tyrese play since he's been with the Pacers. Yeah, Howie, like I would never have thought about that comparison, but they're both kind of like zany and different. You know, they don't play – how everybody wants you to play, but they still play in a productive way. And that's what I think makes them so good. And the, the, the biggest like direct comparison, you know, LaMelo throws passes that no one can see even when you're watching on TV and stuff like that. And Halliburton does that because his shot form is weird, right? Like he does this thing where he goes for a floater. And because when he starts his shot, his hands on the side of the ball, it looks like he's shooting. And then he just whips this pass away that you didn't even see. And it's like, oh, I didn't even know he had that in his bag. Like, his creativity is off the charts. That's where I see, like, the biggest comparison between them is their creativity on just, like, simple plays. They they, they don't make it more complicated. They just make it, you know, it, they do it in a way that makes the defense slower or rotate in a different way. And that that's what makes him so special. And I agree with you. He's a better shooter. Uh, he's a ridiculous shooter. One of only 17 guys 
shooting over 40% from three ever, both of their first two seasons. I had to look that up a few, a few days ago. You know, the scoring and his floater is good when he actually does take it too. Like he, he is really special. It's been crazy to watch him because like I had seen him with the Kings before, but some about when like he's the guy on this team now, it's just different. Like he, he can really do it all. He could, he's going to be a 20 and 10 guy for the Pacers, possibly this season as a 21 year old. Like he's that good now. He, he's got the stuff, man. He can throw off. He can look off easy passes and just fire it behind his head to someone. It's stuff that you just don't see from someone his age. It's reads that guys don't make until, you know, they either have a huge role or a huge backing or huge praise from the coach. He just does it now it, it, with LaMelo too. You know, the shooting, I think, is going to be the big separator for them. Like, if Lamella becomes a shooter, he'll be a multi, multi, multi time all star. But Tyrese, if he can be a 40% guy forever, I mean, they could be comparable in impact for, for a long time. Most definitely. I mean, I think the point was for me is that they're both going to be stars and they're from the same type of mold of player, in my opinion. It's like all these guys are different level players, but it's like the Ricky Rubio, Rondo. Tyrese Halliburton, LaMelo, Lonzo, those guys who move the ball, make everybody around them better. Um, obviously, Rondo's a little bit higher level all time than those guys right now. But, you know, what, what is going to separate Tyrese from – and actually, Josh Giddey's of that mold as well, but he's just larger than them. He's just a bigger guy. So, I mean, there's a couple guys, in my opinion, that fit into that mold. But what's really going to separate Tyrese from some of those guys – not saying he'll be better than all of them, but I think he has a real great chance to be great – is his shooting efficiency. Like, I think that's what the separating factor is for him. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy because, you know, that makes his passes easier too. Cause defenders like in transition, they run up on him almost half court. Right. So because yeah. he's able to whip it in, he can hit these passes that no one can hit. And like the funny thing about the Pacers since they got him is his teammates aren't ready for that. Cause they haven't had a guy like that. Like Tristan Thompson got hit in the head with a pass. Terry Taylor got hit in the back with a pass. Uh, O'Shea Brissett got hit in the side of the pass. Like they're not used to, having someone who can hit these passes and the passes are only possible because he's such a good shooter. Like you said, and you know, yeah. it's so weird with guys who have weird forms. Like every time they shoot, you're like, Oh, and then it goes, you know, it goes in and you don't care about the form. If they make it, it just, it just looks so bizarre. And that kind of makes me more attracted to watching him play because it's different. You know what I mean? So the shot not only helps him be a shooter, obviously, which is really valuable in the NBA these days. It's like, the thing that Rick Carlisle talks about the most with him is like, oh, finally, someone on my team who can make a three-pointer, but it also allows him to be a better playmaker for the rest of the pace. Yeah, most definitely. You mentioned Rick Carlisle. Um, it seems like this wasn't really the situation he signed up for, right? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> How is he handling that? That's what I want to know. Uh, pretty well. I actually think that had this been five years ago, I don't know how he would have handled it, but he had to go through the, the end of Dirk pre Luca stretch for one year where the Mavs were just garbage. Right. And then they got Luca. And then all of a sudden it's like, they're ascending and good and figuring it out the whole time. I think that he knows now how to handle a season like this in a way that he wouldn't have <laughs> five yep. years ago. So he, you know, I think that what he's thinking is, you know, he didn't sign up here to to de develop a team. He said that to NBA on TNT. Like, that's his his thinking. But everything that can go wrong for the Pacers this year has has gone wrong. Basically, like, before this, before training camp even started, TJ Warren has a setback. Edmund Sumner gets hurt. They have to trade Sumner. Then Karis LeVert misses weeks. Brogdon's missed months. Turner's missed months. You know, every single thing, if you had to check a box of, like, this would make their season a disaster has happened, basically. So I think that's kind of what he's hanging his hat on is like, 
I'm doing my best. It's just, there's nothing I can, can do. So it's time to just suck it up for the last 20 games and make it a development year. And then we'll be back in good next year. So I don't think he loves it because he definitely wants to be a winning coach, playoff coach. He loves the series kind of X's and O's battles, but there's nothing he can do about it now. And I'm glad that they and he were able to lean into a one year little mini rebuild that they can be better next year again. Yeah, I'm, I I heard uh, Tyrese kind of he called it like a soft rebuild, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, yeah. you know, the Pacers were never an organization that like leaned into tanking. Do you feel that approach has helped them over the long run? I mean, they're not in a great situation now, but they also never been terrible for the most part. Right. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, they haven't picked in the top 10 since the 1980s, which blows people's mind to hear sometimes. Right. They've had top 10 picks, but never their own. So, I, I mean, they had to this year, right? Like they're 20 and 40, you know, yeah. there, there's like, if they were, if they were like five or six games under 500, a lot of teams in that situation, like the Knicks right now, the Kings, the Pelicans, they're like, Oh, we, we can make the plan. We can keep going. I think the Patriots would have done that too. their owner this season went on the record. The owner of the team was like, no, I will never tank, but because they're so bad. I mean, 20 games under 500 is, is you stink. You know, that they're, they're a bad team. You got to You got to tank. So they, they had to take the opportunity to for one year, just deal with it, get the best pick you can, and then try to go back to being the Pacers. You've always been again, starting next year. So I know you pay attention to uh, draft prospects. And I mean, the consensus top three is obviously Jabari, Chet and Paulo. Me personally, I would have Chet a little bit above the other two. Yes. But, but <laughs> But let's say out of those three, well, I guess I know your answer from that, uh, from that excitement, but you know, out of those three, who do you think is the best available? And I think that's what you would normally go with best available, but, but also who do you think would be the best fit for this Pacers squad if they were able to draft in the top three? Separate from the Pacers, Jabari and Chet are my two, like these guys are awesome players. And, and I'm only, I only fist pumped at your Chet because earlier I just get so sick of, like the he's skinny stuff because yeah. So I was thinking about this today, like someone who's listening, Google a picture of Joel Embiid at Kansas and then Joel Embiid now and like, tell me that it matters that these dudes are skinny in college. Like if they're really good, they're going to be awesome in the NBA. And Chet is awesome, man. I, I might end up getting him to number one, but him and Jabari Smith are my top, top two right now. The Pacers are interesting because we talked about Hallie already. Like he can play one, two easily. He can play two positions and Duarte, their other good young player can play two, three and Isaiah Jackson. They view him as a guy who can play four and five. All that versatility means they can kind of pick any position that they feel like the best player is. Uh, in theory, I think Jabari Smith would be the best fit with the guys that they currently have. But obviously, Chet's defense being so wonderful. I mean, if they don't, Miles Turner only has one year left on his contract after the season. If they view Chet as a long-term fit, that makes a ton of sense too. I mean, they, they could go anywhere with it. I think, again, Jabari or a forward in general would be a great fit for them. But really in their position because they have young guys who can play a lot of positions, a lot of roles can guard a lot of positions, which I think matters a lot for that versatility. They, they could go any direction, but I, I, I'm just, I'm so sick of the Chet skinny stuff. So I'm hyped to hear someone else behind on Chet. Yeah. I mean, I don't think being skinny ever really stopped anybody. Like look at KG, yeah. like look at KD, look at Embiid, as you said, I mean, Giannis, I mean, he gained a lot of weight in the league. I don't think that really affects anybody in that it, like I can't think of anybody that like oh he was too skinny like it didn't work out for them Dirk's another guy um and, and also it kind of shows his potential because once he fills out I think he's gonna be obviously he'll be stronger but I also think 
that explosiveness will really show in the half court once he gets like his legs and his core a little bit stronger, which is stuff that I think will unlock a lot of his already high skill level. Yeah, the fun thing about development with muscle that's weird is like your shot, you kind of lose your shot when you get stronger for a little bit because you're not used to shooting with muscle. So it, he'll guys, have to, yeah, yeah he'll kind of have to weave through that of like, okay, you're a way better defender now and you're way stronger and you can bully guys now and your instincts are unbelievable. Like some of the shots he blocks, it, it's crazy. But now your shot's a little worse. And, you know, that's a big part of what makes him so special is that he can shoot at his size. But if, if it all translates and it's seamless, I mean, I, I might just end up putting him number one. But Jabari Smith just – can kind of do it all. Um, definitely has some weaknesses. His handle's not amazing or anything, but I mean, I I don't think there's a bad fit for him anywhere anyway with his skill set too. Uh, I haven't caught Auburn in like two weeks, so I'm a little behind on my Jabari Smith tape. But I both of those guys stand out a lot to me. Paulo's been really struggling recently. Jaden Ivey's right up the road. His three pointers kind of escaped him in Big Ten play. Those are the the top four to me, and and they all I think they'll all be really good NBA players. But I think Chet and Jabari, I just head and shoulders above the other two to me. Yeah, I mean, Paulo and Miles Turner doesn't seem like a bad mix to me actually, Not at, all. at all. You know what I mean? Yeah. That That's a nice little fit with, you know, with Brogdon and Tyrese. Uh, what's up with TJ Warren? How, how's he doing? Like, we haven't, like, I don't even, I haven't really heard much since uh, Bubble Warren, you know, Bubble TJ. That was a real thing. That that was great. Yeah, that, I, I mean, what, you know, some of those guys with that black curtain background, they could just see the basket perfectly, you know, and TJ Warren is definitely one of those guys. Yeah, he had that foot thing. And it was the navicular, which is what made Bull Bull miss a year at Oregon and made John Bede miss a year. Like, it's killer. Marcus Saul missed a bunch of time with it. It's killer. So I thought he'd miss the whole last season because last season was so fast-paced. You know, there's a game every other day, basically. That did 72 games in five months. But this year, yikes. I mean, he's missed a ton of time. He definitely had a setback before the season. The Pacers put out a press release about it saying, you know, he's healing, but not as fast as we expected. And you know, I thought, okay, maybe he'll miss till January. Now it's almost March and he hasn't played in, in 14 months. So honestly, I can't give you a ton of updates. And some of that's because I don't know how naviculars heal like at all. Like it's, it's a hard place to get blood in your body. So it just takes a long time anyway. But two, Rick Carlisle is very dodgy with how he explains healing times. He always says weeks, not months. And now it's been months and months and months. So he's practicing a lot. Like I think he's doing three on three now. That's good. He's shooting, he's running. Like, I think he'll play this year at some point, but I don't know how well he'll play. I don't know what kind of minutes he'll play. And I don't, I don't know how good he'll look compared to, to bubble TJ, the guy that could defend two through four and hit every three and was unguardable for, for an eight, an eight game stretch there. Yeah. I mean, if he becomes bubble TJ, uh, it might hurt the, the, the development and the, the draft <laughs> range that the Pacers could get into. Right. <laughs> I don't think they would care though. Just to see him play again after, I mean, he's, he hasn't played since 2020 was the last, like he didn't play all of 2021, you know, just to see him do anything. I think the Pacers will take it at this point. Yeah. So I got to ask you about a guy who is playing. I mean, I'm a New York guy, so I want to see how this guy is doing over there with the Pacers. I got to watch him play, you know, here and there with the Pacers. And obviously I seen him explode that one game, you know, early in this season's uh, Pacers. How has the Lance Stevenson experience been in Indiana? As soon as you say New York, you know, you know where it's going, right? Yeah, that you know, he always says it like something about playing in Indiana just is different for him. It doesn't make sense. Like every time he, he comes here, it, he's drafted here, obviously, and almost was an all-star in 2013. And then he kind of struggled with the Hornets and the Clippers and all these other teams. And then 2017, he was really good for the Pacers again. And then he left and he was not as good for Lakers. And now he's back again and he's way better than he was for the Hawks this season. That was a lot of teams I just said. So I get if people couldn't follow the map, I just drew, but. He is always better here 
And it's usually because the Pacers and this fan base get behind him. One and two, this franchise has done a much better job of getting the ball in his hands. Whereas a lot of other franchises make him kind of off ball. So he, you know, he's putting up his best assist per minute here, like by a mile compared to the rest of his career. He's looked like such a good playmaker per 36 right now. He's averaging 7.5 assists in Indiana. His career best before this year was 6.6 as a rookie, right? Like he's blowing away his old numbers. So that's what made him look so good. He's the backup point guard. He's enabling his teammates and he's obviously got the Lance razzle dazzle good feel all the rookies love being around him and just seeing him do his thing but you know that's been a big thing for him is just finding a coach and a team that will trust him to have the ball in his hands because his shot is always going to be you know kind of up and down and and his finishing is always the same you know kind of up and down confidence plays a big role in his shot but his passing has been really good for the Pacers this year in a way that it hasn't been before yeah I even seen him make like a Luca like pass like one hand didn't even touch it with the other hand cross court like he didn't have that in his game before. I, I don't know where that guy, I don't know if he was working on it, but that was pretty cool to see. No one else on the Pacers can throw a skip pass at all. Well, before Halliburton, now Halliburton can, but like that, yeah. it, it's crazy. Like they, they pick this dude up off the streets and he comes in, they play in Cleveland and he throws a skip pass and they make a three. And it's like, I haven't seen that in a month from this team. And he can actually throw a pocket pass. Like Sabonis was better when he was playing. Yeah. He, you know, he doesn't have necessarily like high level NBA skills, but the stuff he does, the Pacers really needed this year. No, stuff like that matters. Like, I wouldn't consider Lance like a connective piece, but I mean, when you add those kind of guys to a team, and Tyrese is definitely one of them, and you know, you see it with Derek White with the Celtics, even though they were playing well before he got there. It's just like, just little things like that could just open up so much for a team, you know? Yeah, Derek White's killing it. They're, they're smoking the Nets right now. I don't know how much he's playing in that game, but yeah, he, he's been big for them too. Yeah, sometimes it's connective pieces. You never know who they're going to be, but they just magically make a team you know really click like Corey Joseph was that with Victor Oladipo for some reason for the Pacers a couple years ago you never know who those guys can be but Kojo just pounded the ball and gave it to the right guy at the right time and played heady defense and it, it connected a team and you know it can be any skills to do it and Lance certainly has done it for the Pacers this year all right so the Pacers will have some cap space Tony just let me know what you would like to see them do with that cap space and what do you think would be most most beneficial when it comes to that yeah, you know, the boring answer is just roll it over till next year because the 2023 free agency group's a lot better than the 2022 group. You know, there's a couple of guys like Miles Bridges would make a ton of a ton of sense for them, especially if they lose Warren, just to get a wing on the team and his athleticism would help them a ton. You know, they, they have very few athletes on this team. Isaiah Jackson can really jump, but that's kind of it. So the, the free agency group, it, it, beyond it not being that great, it's just like the Pacers aren't really good enough to spend a ton on someone good right now. Does that make sense? You know, it, it would kind of cripple them building in the future. I think they kind of want to spend right when they have to give Tyrese his money, that which is also next year. So I think their free agency plan should just be like one-year deals for vets at positions that they kind of lack, like a good wing and a, and a good two backup two-guard now that Jeremy Lamb and Justin Holiday are out the door, stuff like that. So it's like it's really boring in the grand scheme of things. Like you won't look back at – at their 2020 group of free agents like they nailed it or anything but they will be helpful in evaluating the young guys and building the team up and getting them ready for a much bigger summer in 2023 well every team has a chance for lebron now <laughs> that's true you draft ronnie in 2024 and there you go yeah, yeah. you know what i saw john hollinger right that i actually don't think people have, have talked about much people always talk about drafting bronny what if what if lebron plays for the ignite with bronny they could do that before he even makes it to the nba that that is crazy. <laughs> Yo, John, John has interesting takes. I, I do not see that happening. No, That's Jen. interesting though. I mean, they're not. You know what? The crazy thing about the G League Ignite is they're not even really in the G League. Yeah. You know, like they're not. Part, so like LeBron on an exhibition team. I mean, it would be it would be fun though. I mean, I think that would be a situation where Bronny would probably play the most minutes. So if LeBron actually wants on court action with Bronny, I guess that makes sense, right? 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know enough about Brownie. Everything I heard about him before this year is that he's not a first-round guy at this stage. So, yeah, he, he can play a lot more for the Ignite, maybe look a little better. Yeah, I mean, he's 6'3", he's athletic, he's smart, he could shoot. Um, Those those high school games are really tough to evaluate. Yeah. I don't, I mean, Especially you said, Sierra you Canyon. Oh man, it's crazy. Like it's yeah. kind of, so he might be one of those guys that play better with um, you know, better players. We'll see. And also, I mean, I think he's going to get in the league because no, I don't think there's going to be 30 teams to pass up on the LeBron farewell tour, right? Yeah, that. I mean, you you sell your son out every night the whole season, right? So like any team, especially most, a small market team, would like. Oh, why would you not be all over that? Most definitely, most definitely. Have you ever thought of a Pacers starting five? The two guard, it's going to be Reggie, but. Uh, have you ever thought about the rest of that starting? Uh, have you ever thought about the rest of that starting five? Uh, I've tried before, though. I have a lot of trouble with point guard. You know, they don't have a, a rich history at the one. Like Mark Jackson was their most successful point guard, certainly. That's a nice. Uh, that's a nice. Like, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah it, it could have been Tinsley. I mean, his rookie year was nasty, but he didn't turn out like that. So their point guard spot's definitely the hardest. Like Reggie's easy for me, and PG is easy for me, and Danny Granger's usually pretty easy for me and jo is pretty easy for me you know i guess danny's a little tougher but those four seem like i gotta put them in and then sabonis is a, a guy i consider but then i don't have a point guard at all and if i want to go the one route it's like george hill maybe you know so they have like a lot of guys two through four but not the not the great ones that that make it really easy so um man can i do i have to have a point guard on my team <laughs> So yeah, give me give me your best five because you know in the modern NBA you don't really need point guards, yeah, guards small forward uh, four or five. So just give me your best five. That would be a nice mix. I'll make I'll make Domas play make. So I'll do a yeah I'll do Reggie PG Danny Jo and Domas is my five. I think that's a good five. Uh, that's a I good five. Got to be. I mean, no Chuck Persons tough. He was nasty for the rifleman. Yeah, I got his bobblehead behind me. I don't know if you can. See it. <laughs> no, I didn't notice that. That's it's crazy. a very random one. Uh, yeah, I think he's like arrested or on trial for recruiting scandal at Auburn or something now. So yeah, as a coach, I, not, I, he didn't do anything like uh, he did like a, an NCAA rule violation, nothing like crazy, but um, yeah. So maybe him and you know maybe Mark Jackson and Jalen Rose was the best player on their finals team. He was so fast. I mean, so Chris Mullen wasn't in his prime, so you can't add him yeah, in yeah. there, right? He was good here though, you know, so like David West is a two-time all-star. He played here for a while. Like Hibbert was really good too. Yeah. They Rick Smith Rick Smith was good. Rick Smith no? was real good. Yeah, I think yeah. Dan I mean Granger would be thought of so highly if they were any good when he was here like he had that year where he was easy 25 a night. Like he he was that good. They just never I mean their second best player on those teams was like Mike Dunleavy or something so yeah. he never had any cast to kind of make him look good. Do you, do you feel that Reggie is like somewhat underrated and people don't take into account like what it means to actually carry a franchise for all those years? Yeah, yeah. I mean he went through every, like he was on the brawl teams and in the eighties, you know, he really carried the franchise for a long time. They weren't very good at first when they had him. That takes a lot. And, you know, to not, I mean, he, there's been jokes about how close he was to joining the Celtics a few times, but to not leave and to keep him on the map and let them go through that, that mini mid nineties rebuild where they got back to good and made the finals. It's tough. And, and he did it one and two, like, I mean, this is said for a lot of guys who could shoot in the nineties, but he, you know how good he'd be now if he played like his skill set. Yeah. he'd just, I mean, he'd just be launching every game. I mean, so, yeah, I, I think he's a little underrated. They had him on the top 75 team, deservedly. You know, he's definitely cemented in, in history. But it's crazy. Like, I know everybody talks about Reggie being underrated, but, like, Jermaine O'Neal has more all-star appearances than Reggie. He was a top-five MVP guy one year. I mean, J.O. was was a beast before he got hurt. 
Actually, you might have to add in Ron Ron to the all-time starting five. Like, if you <laughs> actually, might. I mean, if, if you want to win games, like, you got to add him in, right? You got to add Meta in. He was, uh, the, the brawl year, he probably, he could have been MVP candidate. He was 25 points a game guy that year before it, it went down. He was, he was an all-star before that season too. I mean, I, I, it's not like uncommon to talk to a Pacers fan, Indy, who says that that was their best team ever was the, the brawl year. They probably would have won the championship, but obviously, you know, they had half their team suspended for most of the season because they were so good in 2004, 2005. And Ron being a 25 point per game score defensive player of the year candidate was a, a huge part of that. Yeah, you guys got some good New York City guys. You got Lance, you got uh, Meta, you got Jamal Tinsley, Mark Jackson, Chris Mullen. Oh, man, New York is well represented. Uh, Tony, thank you so much for taking the time. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find you? Social media, the much podcast? Yeah, yeah, Locked on Pacers is where I, I talk about this team every day. I don't get to talk about these guys as much, so this is fun <laughs> for me. Uh, yeah, well, it's Hal Burton every day, basically. I mean, he's the story of this team for the rest of the season. And I'm on Twitter at T East NBA if you want to keep up with the team daily. Thank you so much for taking the time. You're always welcome back on the show and talk soon. Much appreciated. Hey, there it is. Another episode of Combo's Court Podcast. Big shouts to everyone who tunes into the show across the globe. Big shouts to Tony for joining in. We appreciate you, Combo Nation. Let's do something a little bit different today. Let me know how you feel about this episode on Twitter. You can catch me on Twitter at Combo's Court. Tell me what you felt about this episode and tag me on there at combos court that's c-o-m-b-o-s-c-o-u-r-t i'll try to reply to everybody appreciate you all again and don't forget to rate review and punch down on that subscribe button man be on the lookout for episode three four five combo out